And do we have to say Henry or can we say Henri? I'm sure that there's like some for some reason I have it in my mind that it like ends with an I. Is that uh, is that his Henry name? does Henry does yeah. end with an I and but I do think it's Henry and I do think it's Nowen. But you know what? I'm not a hundred percent sure. But that's what we're gonna say on this podcast. Okay. I just like the idea of hearing you in your southern accent say Henri. Okay. Well, you know I'm not even gonna attempt that. But thank you. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Stowaways, to this episode of Seminary Stowaways. I'm Hannah Connor, your host, and I'll soon be joined by my co-host, Luann Riley. Today, Luann's going to share with us what she's been learning in seminary about discernment, which she had always thought was a spiritual gift. It turns out it's more than that. So stay tuned, but first, I want to introduce you to Luann Riley. Luann grew up in Alabama but got to Texas with her husband Justin as fast as she could. She left her ladder climbing gig in corporate America for a full-time job in ministry seven years ago, and she's the former discipleship director of a large Houston area church. She's currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Theology while wrangling her twin boys. She has a passion for hoodie sweatshirts, non-dairy creamer, books that make her cry, and Alabama football. I want to introduce you to my friend Hannah. Hannah is currently a communications manager for an anti-child trafficking organization, and I happen to know she's a pretty fantastic wife and mom. Her family just moved back to the U.S. after doing missions in the U.K. for the past three years. She's an Enneagram 5, so naturally she loves detective stories and TV. She has a degree in creative writing and has worked in church ministry or parachurch ministry for the past eight years. Hey, friend. Hey, friend. You ready to do this? Let's do it. So what are we going to be talking about today? So we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline or practice of discernment. You know, last podcast we talked about the class that I'm taking where we talked about spiritual formation and the role of spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines in those. And I admitted that there were a lot more than I even knew about, and especially if you count the hot dog one as as a newly discovered spiritual discipline. Hot dog one. There are apparently numerous amounts of spiritual disciplines. So many iterations that I have not known about. And one of the surprising spiritual practices for me was the practice of discernment. Hmm. Okay. Great. I can't wait to get into this. Uh, what resources will be be looking at today? Yeah, so today we are going to use the book by Henry Nowen, uh, appropriately titled Discernment, Reading the Signs of Daily Life. I have now come to realize through just telling a few people how impactful this book was to me that he is someone that other Christians have read. I believe Mm -hmm. you even shared with me that you've read a book by his before. Yeah, I read, um, I don't remember if it was The Return of the Prodigal Son, but I read his one that was about the prodigal son, and it was also heavily about the painting, I think, by that same name, by Rembrandt. So, Yeah, I, I, this is my first experience with Henry Nouwen. But I have known him to be the kind of person, the kind of name where if you say it, people are like, oh, oh, yeah. I love Henry Nouwen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> He's got a lot I of mean, fanboys. He does. He does have some fanboys who I actually texted and said, this is like one of the best books that I've read um, in on this topic, this is sort of blowing my mind. And they're like, oh, yeah, now and hmm, spiritual father. I've known him for a long time. I'm like, really? It's great. No one ever told me about him. I mean, I have to pay money to go to seminary to learn 
that I should read this book. And there's something slightly unusual about this book and that he didn't write it as a yeah. book. Yeah, so Henry Nowen um, is a real interesting guy. He uh, was a Catholic priest, but moved in and out of a few denominations, from what I understand, through his life. And he wrote um, letters every day with his pen, actually, in calligraphy, which I find to be beautiful. Like calligraphy or cursive? No, beautiful calligraphy script. But what they've done posthumously, I guess, isn't that what you say when someone's passed away? Posthumously? Um, yeah. Posthumously. <laughs> That's what I always thought. Is that he has... we got to start looking these things up before we start recording so, so we, we sound, sound like idiots. So we sound yeah. uh, educated. Um, and what they've done, is, or his foundation has done, is they've taken his writings and they have compiled them into books. And so this is the third in a trilogy. I don't know what the first two are. I haven't read those. Hope they're not necessary because it's we a jumped. new hope. And then um, I'm just kidding. One thing that really surprised me because this was one of the things that I was able to get and also read along with you. Whereas a lot of these things are just reams and reams of paper you've printed off that I don't have access to. But with this, as I was reading it, I was taken off guard a couple of times because he made some statements that would not be considered. And I mean, borderline heretical heretical really i mean yeah yeah. i was uh, surprised honestly about now and i was surprised about things that i was learning and i think about though you know i would say that there's probably denominations where leanings of christianity that would call now and a bit of a heretic honestly i mean let's be real wouldn't qualify as a heretic in certain I don't know because I mean everyone would. is a heretic. Yeah, I agree. That's right. Yes. You go to the right place, they're going to call anyone a heretic. They are. They are. And aren't we all? Because they'll be like that Luann Riley, it's a woman, she's preached hasn't she? Heretic. Burn her at the stake. Um yes. Yeah. So, I think that any one of us any number of us who are trying to follow Jesus, who are trying to point people to Jesus, who are trying to, I don't know, speak on behalf of the Lord through teaching and interpreting his word, people could look at our lives and be like, yeah, well, mm, you know, she yelled at her husband a lot, so let's discount um, mm-hmm. any good thing that she might be teaching us because everything doesn't line up right. Because you're not going to, we're not going to find anybody. I would say if you had to define Henry Nowen's life, if you had to sort of sum it up, you would say that he was a seeker who was Mm. um, pursuing experiential um, encounters with God. And, you know, Nowen taught at um, uh, Yale Divinity School and Harvard in the 80s. He's lived in Central America with the poor. He lived in a monastery. He was the chaplain for a community of adults with special needs. And uh, he was loved by like celebrities like Fred Rogers and Hillary Clinton. Um, and I just found that his whole life, though, was him seeking or maybe you could say discerning, which is why he's um, written this, like why he has so many writings on discernment, the will of God or trying to follow what he was discerning to be the will of God for his life. Yeah. So let's jump into it then. How does Nowen define discernment? 
Discernment is the spiritual practice that assesses and seeks to understand what God is saying. And so the premise that Nowen is basing his understanding of discernment on is that God is always speaking to us, whether that is individual or to the people of God in different times, um, in different ways, through dreams and visions, prophets, messengers, scripture, tradition, experience, and a couple of ways that I found stretching, nature and current events. So there was a bird that flew into my window the other day and killed itself. What is the message <laughs> that God is trying to send to me? Or should we have maybe read the first two volumes where he covered animal messengers? <laughs> well, there, well, there was this exercise we did where we discerned what God was saying in community. It was a Quaker practice, so we might need to use that to figure That's it out. Idea. But we're gonna get <laughs> we're gonna get to that in okay. a minute. Okay. Uh, so I like this idea that God is always speaking to us through everything, and. Nowen points us to how do we begin to tune ourselves to hear what God is saying. It's this spiritual listening that we develop um, to hear God and determine what we should do and how we should obey. When he says that God's always speaking, does he mean just like if you read your Bible, God always has something to say to you? No. Now, let me just clarify God does speak through our Bible, and he does say that God speaks through his word, but he takes it even further. He means that there is a listening that should happen all the time within us, and he dives into the role of the Holy Spirit. And I found his writings about the Holy Spirit to just be beautiful. And he's talking about how the Holy Spirit is inside us, and he says that it's hidden, but it takes discipline and practice to be able to hear it and to be able to figure out what the Spirit is saying to us. And he talks about how when we listen to the Spirit, there's this quote, he says, we hear a deeper sound, we hear a deeper beat from a life in which we experience ourselves as separated, isolated, and lonely to then a life in which we hear the guiding and healing voice of God who is with us and never leaves us alone. Mm. I know. And he talks about the idea of discernment as a spiritual practice to get better at that. And I'm going to say this. I thought discernment was a gift. Right. Isn't it listed as a gift? It is, and I think this was a point of confusion and understanding for me, so Nowen does speak to that, and he talks about it in his book, and he explains it this way, that discernment is a gift, and Paul lists it out as a gift, and so there are people in which the tuning of their ear to the Holy Spirit is more sensitive and always will be. That is a gift that God has placed in them, so discernment will come easier, but all believers can discern what God is saying to them. If you think about it, we do. I mean, we seek God and we try to figure out what he's saying. And so we can develop a better ear to hear the Holy Spirit by approaching discernment as something that we can get better at. So underlying, underlying that, though, is his belief that God is always speaking. Yes. If you do not believe that God is always speaking to you, then... It is it, natural that some of these methods would seem extreme, nonsensical, and not worth time. If God really is always speaking and you want to hear him. I mean, that seems like a very foundational belief right. to engage I, with Nowen's 
version of discernment. And in order to engage with it, you also have to believe not only is he speaking all the time, but that he cares about your decisions, that your decisions matter, and that God Mm -hmm. would be trying to guide you through the Holy Spirit through decisions in your life, Mm -hmm. and that nothing is accidental or... um, that God, that we can pay attention and that we can come to know and get to this place where mm-hmm. we feel like the Holy Spirit guides us in our daily life. So if that's something someone doesn't agree with, like, well, I don't know that I think that God's always speaking because it almost seems like a kind of hyper spiritual attitude to think, like you said, events, mm-hmm. that he says God speaks through events. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. found it inspiring and centering in a way to be reminded that God always wants to speak to me Mm. because he's continually reaching for me and God always wanted to speak to me that doesn't mean that he always wants to tell me to like change something about my life it Mm. just means maybe like today he's saying like I love you you're cared for Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. right yeah absolutely it says um and he says that when we listen to the Spirit, that there's a deeper sound or a, diff- a different beat that we can hear. And he goes on to say that our God is a God who cares and he heals and he guides and he directs and he challenges and he confronts and he corrects. But at the core of that, it's because he cares for mm-hmm. us and he cares about our lives and he cares um, to correct us as well as to mm-hmm. let us know, like, it's okay to rest. You know, these mm-hmm. different ways that the Holy Spirit, um, you know, if you think about it, like comforter, like he's mm-hmm. providing comfort by speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. So, And that I, makes sense because what I read, he says in the book that one of his biggest passions is for people to understand that they are the beloved of God. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's his main idea in this book, but it seems like what he wants what he yearns to, for all people to know. Yeah, and he feels like you don't properly, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, hear from God unless your identity is square. Like mm. that you may hear God incorrectly if you don't believe you're the beloved. If your identity is not that you are loved by God, then you may not hear from him. You may interpret him incorrectly because you believe things about yourself that are not true, which makes you believe things about God that are not true. It sounds like there's a lot of, this is probably why maybe there's so many ideas that he builds on to get where he's going mm-hmm. that you could read two pages and be like, hold on, I got to go think about this for a while. Yes. And then come back to it. And one of the other things that I gathered when he started talking about discernment was that it's about timing in a way. He talked about Kronos time and Kairos time. Kronos time being like the time a clock keeps that passes in measurable seconds, minutes, and then Cairo's time was more like a ripeness or a sense of fullness. And that sensing God and discerning things has a lot to do with not being driven so much by clock time as it does with being in tune for like whatever God's saying, whatever is ready, whatever he's readying you for in moments. Yeah, and I think that the orientation towards time is important to understand when you're discerning because, 
I mean, I know we've all been told, and this is not anything new, but that God's not on our timeline, that His his version of patience is not the same as mm-hmm. ours, that this idea. And so I think if we approach discernment with this idea of like, okay, God, here's the list of decisions I'm trying to make. Now speak and let me discern what the next action is mm-hmm. that we're putting God on our Chronos time. timeline. Mm-hmm. timeline. Yeah. And that, that God, that's not how we have to approach God in discernment, we may get an answer and we may get it very clearly and that's great. Or we may not get an answer at at all. We may not know. And it may be this idea of that we, and he's big on this, like it means you wait, you know? Mm. And I think for me that feels frustrating because I'm like, oh, I'm going to engage in the spiritual practice of discernment and God's going to help me make every decision the right way today. And, yeah. um, you know, I feel like, I can apply it to a situation in my life where I I felt led towards a decision, but I just never felt like God really brought me to a yes. I just kept feeling mm-hmm. like he was saying, wait, uh, for a very long time, almost mm-hmm. a year. And I kept saying, like, Lord, when are you going to make this clear? Like, I'm discerning that you want me to move, but you're not saying now. And so when is it going to be? And then finally, mm-hmm. he did make it very clear. All kinds of things came together that I didn't know. But in that waiting time, to me, it just felt like a waste of time. Yeah. And God was doing things. And he talks about, you know, we can't see or understand the spirit and how it's moving and what and all these other different forces that God's sort of working together. Um, and in discernment, we're trying to sort of access that. But when God doesn't answer, it means wait. Right. So when you talk about waiting... Sometimes I guess that would be the answer. But when you're trying, when you're practicing discernment as a spiritual discipline, what is it that you're trying to discern? Is it just that you have like a big decision to make or? The goal or the idea behind discernment is that we are entering into a discipline of listening and not just for the big critical moments and big decisions that we have to make, but this lifetime commitment of seeking God and paying attention to the Spirit. And it's listening and responding and trying to align our desire with God's desire for us. Hmm. Aligning desires. So how would somebody go about practicing discernment? So we talked a lot about solitude in the second episode um, of the podcast um, and the components that are needed to practice discernment are solitude first with prayer and then also in community. So the idea is that discernment begins in solitude, that you're spending time with the Lord, that you're praying, that you're listening for what God might be saying and arriving at what you think he's saying or saying, you know what, I'm not really clear, so I'm going to keep praying about it. But then to also engage your community in the practice of discernment on your behalf and to help facilitate your discernment. So one of the exercises we had to do for this class was a discernment committee. And this is something that the Quakers use. My understanding of the Quaker faith, uh, my limited understanding of the Quaker faith, I will say, is that their decisions are communal ones. 
that they arrive at decisions not individually, but as a community for, for all of their lives. And so if you're trying to make a decision or if you're trying to understand what God is saying, then you would bring your question or your decision before this committee. And three hours is how long my discernment committee lasted. And I wasn't the focal point of the committee because at that time I didn't have a major decision, but I had a friend who was making, had a major decision. And so as um, the only thing that the other two of us got to do was to ask her questions. And we were... You know what the hardest part was for me? I know you're going to be super surprised by this. We weren't allowed. I can guess. <laughs> we weren't Wait, allowed. Let me guess first. You weren't allowed to tell her what the answer was. We weren't was. allowed to tell to her what to do. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't allowed to tell her what we think that she should do or guide her. We couldn't say, well, Don't have you, you think you would be an idiot if you did that? Have you thought about it this way? Well, if it's me, I would do it this way. All mm. we could do was ask questions to help her. Um, sift through her. The idea is that you're sifting through some of the emotions or the assumptions or things that maybe cloud our view of hearing the Holy Spirit. Because let's be honest, I think a lot of times when we're making our decision, we make a decision because we think that's what God would want us to do. Like, yeah, that's pretty standard. Rather than just sitting in front of him and asking, because he could give you the direct opposite of what Mm -hmm. you think that you should be doing and so a lot of times we approach our decision we already have it like we already know like we already know what we're going to do before we pray about it especially when it comes to corporate decisions oh yeah especially when it comes to corporate decisions um you know one of the things uh he talks about is the communal aspect of discernment in terms of a congregation of a church or even a leadership team or a ministry team. And this is one of the things that I was convicted by because three hours to sort through, to arrive at this one decision for my friend, for the committee is the practice that he is recommending that you put in place for corporate worship decisions or ministry strategic decisions or really any decision that you want God's leading in. And I think God, I have been in so many meetings and I have just sat through decision after decision after decision. And I wonder how many of those really ended up being in our flesh uh, because we didn't slow down and engage in what can be, I think, a lengthy process of discerning God's will for a situation. There are so many things that you learn about in seminary and you bring back here. And my thought is like, who could do this? Who has the time to do this? If you were to build a life based on these precepts, it would be like rise at 4 a.m., spend five hours in silence controlling nature, and then you would Sabbath for seven hours, and then you would have a corporate decision about whether or not to eat dinner for three hours. No, no, because you know what? Do you know what has happened in the time since I've done the discernment class? And I know I've talked to you about this. There has been many times where someone would say to me, will you pray about this? What is God saying? And I can pray and arrive really quickly, or I can do it without praying. I can tell Hannah Connor what I think she should do. But to intentionally practice, hey, Louie, will you pray about this decision on my behalf and see if you can hear what the Lord is saying? Mm -hmm. And for me to actually go away and do that and come back 
is a practice that's relatively new to me, but I have I have tried to put that in place. Like I have mm-hmm. tried to take what I can about discernment and incorporate it into some of my things that I practice already. It is not far off for you and I to say, pray about this decision for each other. Yeah. Um, I think about how I could use this in my small group. You know, I lead a small group and if Justin and I have tried to make any number of decisions throughout our marriage, you know, I practice for discernment in community is to take that decision to our small group and say, will you guys spend a week praying about this thing that we're trying to decide? And when we come back next week, will you guys tell us if God told you anything or pray for God to make it clear? That is not far off Mm -hmm. from my current practices. It's just being more intentional, I think, in the way that I seek God. And for me, it's seeking God more often. I'm an Enneagram 8, and the core sort of marker of an Enneagram 8 is a decider. We're decisive. And we can make any number of decisions in a day without a lot of thought. And that can be a strength in some ways. But then, you know, as the Enneagram says, your strength is also your weakness. It can also cause me to not slow down and really listen to the Holy Spirit or really seek other people to give input on my decisions. And you have to so, be so open-handed to put you have to some be of these things so in practice open-handed. Also. Yes, you do. Um, which, you know, right? Isn't that the definition of a life led by the Holy Spirit? Mm. <laughs> Is yeah. that it's open-handed and willing to be guided by mm-hmm. the Spirit, but in our flesh, it's the control. I need mm-hmm. to be in control of this decision. I need to make this decision because I already know the way that I want this decision to That's go. That's right, because I already know what I want to do. <laughs> I already know. I already know what I want to do. And so Why do we, we need to ask you people? Why do we need to ask other people? Why do we need to ask the Holy Spirit? Like, let's mm-hmm. just look at this, A, B, and, you know, like, let's just make a quick decision. Yeah. Um, and so now, and he did, you know, he did lead a different life um, in that... He was, I feel like he had a slower life. I would agree entirely. Um, He was a contemplative. He spent time in monasteries. He had a lot of time to think upon these things and arrive Mm -hmm. at these deep spiritual ways. And so... But it wasn't like he didn't put his thoughts into practice either. No, 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 no. And he definitely did practice them. And so I think the challenge for me with seminary or any of this, I mean, discernment being the topic today is what can I take from his experience and what he's teaching me about the Holy Spirit and put it into practice in my every, like in my everyday life. Mm -hmm. One of the places that we both, we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, where everything he was saying in this chapter was sort of blowing my mind, but in a way that was really, really challenging. Not like, oh, that's so deep. It's illuminating all these truths to me. It was like, oh, wow, that seems true and hard. Um, When he began to talk about waiting. Mm. Yeah. The idea, his writing around waiting, this idea of active waiting and how we as believers don't, wait it's not kind of like I was talking about earlier wasting time you know and he talks about you know so let's say you're you're following the practice of discernment you're listening for God you're putting these things into practice and it says how do we know when to act or when to wait 
when to move, when to speak, when to be silent, like all of these different things that God might be pointing us to. And then he gets to what I think is one of the hardest principles. He says, and this is a quote, whenever there is a lack of clarity or ambiguity around circumstances, it's time to wait. And that active waiting is essential to our spiritual life. (laughs) And in our mostly active lives and the fast-paced culture that we live in, waiting is not a popular pastime. Absolutely. And I feel like it's a place where so many believers find themselves and just want it to be over. It's so miserable. There have to be people out there listening where it's like decisions, discernment leading decisions. Yes, that sounds so right. I want to do that. But a discernment leading to waiting. Yeah. And he talks about how there's this paradox of waiting. And he says it requires our full attention to the present moment. That if it's he's sort of reorienting our perspective on waiting because he's saying what feels like waiting to us when God says wait is God saying don't miss what's happening right here in your present. I want you to stay here in your presence in your present situation, in the present place that the decision's leading to. And I want you to stay here longer. And that if we can practice patience and learn the act of waiting, then we won't miss things that God has for us because we're in such a hurry to get to the next thing. Which is the most difficult thing that you could ask someone to do who's in a place of waiting. Yeah. Because the whole thing about being in a place of waiting is... It's probably a place where there's something very uncomfortable or very difficult or challenging going on. That's why you are anticipating what's next. And to instead say, not not to say distract yourself, get through it however you can, find some coping mechanisms that really work for you. Mm. But to say, pay attention is pretty much the opposite of what I want to do. Yeah, when I'm waiting. When I'm waiting. Yeah, I don't want to pay attention. I know. I want to be distracted from it. I love how he brings waiting back to this example of just like as disciples, we are in waiting. You know, we we are living in the already but not yet. You know, that we're waiting for Jesus to come again. And so every essence of our life is waiting, although we don't always see it that way except for when we enter like Lent into um, Easter. We talk about that. But he talks about just uh, what we're waiting for and we're waiting on the Lord. And so he says, when you're waiting in your everyday life, that it's not an empty waiting, but it's a waiting with conviction that we have already heard God's promises and that we are waiting on God to fulfill those promises. And I just think that's beautiful language around waiting is that, you know, sometimes I think when you're in waiting, you think God has forgotten you. That's Absolutely. when I was waiting for my headaches to be healed. There were times when I felt like, God, I clearly am hidden from your sight. Mm-hmm. You have forgotten me in my pain. And he's like, no, and when you're waiting, like God sees you and God loves you and there's these promises that God is going to fulfill in your life but they haven't happened yet so don't don't lose hope I guess there's hope in waiting and he goes back one go ahead no go ahead he has one quote that I highlighted where he says waiting patiently is not like waiting for the bus to come the rain to stop or the sun to rise it's an active waiting in which we live in the present moment to the fullest in order to find there the signs of the one that we're waiting for 
Oh, it's just beautiful. And he talks about the psalm. And I actually had written this down, you know, when I was going through my journey with my headaches and I was having a headache every day. And uh, it's Psalm 130 and it talks about my soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word and my soul is longing for the Lord more than the watchman at daybreak. And I feel that. I feel mm-hmm. that when I'm waiting. Yeah, it's like I'm absolutely. waiting on God to break through in this yeah. situation. I need to know where he is. Yeah. And the answer here is to live in the present moment to the fullest, which if I was to look at that practically in my life, what does that mean? It means that when I'm here with my kids and it's time to put them in the bath or that I read to them instead of being on my phone, that I go downstairs and tidy the house instead of just putting on Netflix and trying to do anything I can to take up the space in my head that's like, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. What's next? When will this be different? Why aren't you hearing? Mm. It's like digging in deeper to what is happening in your life that doesn't really make you feel great. Yeah, and I I feel like there's just this idea that changed my perspective in the waiting. And now granted, I'm not waiting right now like I was when I first read this book, but I did feel a perspective change in the idea of what feels like waiting to me is not waiting for God. And that if I'm not getting an answer, it's because I am where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And for me, I just felt so much encouragement in that, that maybe I'd felt like it was resting in me, that I wasn't doing something right because I'm not Mm -hmm. getting the decision or I'm not Mm -hmm. knowing what's supposed to be next because I'm not doing something right. And I'm like, no, I'm being obedient. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm trying to know you better. I'm trying to discern your will. And you're still saying, wait. And that's because you have something else for me. And I walked away with just such encouragement from that in my waiting. I think one of the things that's challenging to me about waiting, you're an Enneagram 8, I'm a 5, is that I don't love having feelings Mm. about anything really at all. And often I don't, so that's great. But... When there's something difficult happening and I do have feelings, the last thing I want to do is just hang out with them for a long time. Sit in them. Yeah. Mm. And feel feel all the feelings. Mm -hmm. And he says that active waiting is being open to the promise yet to be fulfilled. So my go-to, if I feel like God has not come through or I'm waiting on him, is to downplay the promise that I was looking towards. Yeah. Is to think it probably wasn't going to be that great. I probably misheard. There is no promise. This is it. So I need to just get used to here because this is all it will ever be. I want to downgrade my expectations for God mm. so that I will not have any So more he won't disappoint you. That's right. And yeah. to be open to the promise still being fulfilled is ugh, it's the hardest thing. Because I can't, even though I can't, change my situation like physically or anything I can change it in my head I can change the narrative about it and that's what I'll do but for him to say like no 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 that's not actively waiting believe that he's still gonna do it 
I just feel like, well, that requires a lot of faith. <laughs> it requires a lot of faith. And that, my friends, is the summation of the Christian Absolutely. Life. It is. It is hard. It's challenging. But, I mean, we need a takeaway. What's the takeaway for us from discernment, which you need faith and you need all these other things for? How do we boil it down into something that feels like we can integrate that into what we do, into a practice? There is no getting around practicing the spiritual discipline of discernment if our desire to be led by God through the Holy Spirit. And the way that I can even begin to sort through or figure out what God might be saying to me is to put this spiritual discipline in place in my life the best that I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I, I, I don't know how to get to that. And so maybe the question, like last week, we asked, you know, do you desire God? Mm-hmm. What do your desires say? Lord, help me more desire of him. I mean, today it's like, do I really want to know what God is saying? Do I really want to be led? Another question I think is that maybe we already know sometimes what he's saying, you know? Mm-hmm. And don't ask him for more until you do that last thing that he told you to do. So, like, consider, do you really know? And if you do, then go do that thing because he's probably not going to give you further direction until you do that thing. But if you don't, then... Approach everything in your life from the posture that God is going to speak to you through it. That's good. That's good. Do you have a scripture for us, Luanne? And the scriptural truth is from Romans 12, 2, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, that's it for today. We hope that you've been encouraged, maybe even amused. If you have, we'd love it if you'd leave a raving review for us on iTunes. You can also join us on Instagram at Seminary Stowaways. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, the opinions expressed on this episode belong solely to Hannah or Luann and do not represent the organizations, institutions, churches, or Starbucks baristas in their lives. We hope to see you next time on Seminary Stowaways.